0: This is Getting Dirty in Your Garden, brought to you by North Carolina State Extension Master Gardener Volunteers. I'm your host, Harold Johnson, and I'm a Master Gardener in Durham County. Pollinators are important to agriculture. No one disagrees with that statement. How about a business where the very existence of the business is 100% dependent on pollinators? Please enjoy my enlightening conversation with Diane Courier, owner and the only full-time employee of Honey Girl Meadery. Diane, let's begin talking about Honey Girl Meadery, the beginning. Sure. How did you get started?
1: Well, started in mead making, the beginning of that was 2004. I had been homebrewing here in Durham since the late 90s when I first moved here. And went to visit my sister who lived in Homer, Alaska, which is a beautiful place. And uh, we were there at the height of summer and 24-hour sunlight and did a lot of hiking. And one day, my sister and I had hiked a whole field of fireweed, beautiful pink. just a, It comes in after a fire in the forest there and a natural process. And then in the afternoon, she said, let's drop by this meadery. It's called Ring of Fire Meadery. They're no longer open and went out with a real, you know, 20-year great career. But anyway, I said, "What's a meadery. Oddly, I didn't know what it was at all. She said, well, it's amazing, and they make wine from honey. And when I went in there, the first thing they said was, would you like to try our fireweed mead? And in trying that, I thought I remembered being in the flowers. It just felt like the flowers were surrounding me as I'd been hiking in them, and now here I was drinking from those flowers. And it was very powerful, and I remembered that little meadery for years, so 2004, I came back, I was regularly homebrewing with a group of friends in my neighborhood, and friends in general, because it's a great way to make friends, uh, making alcohol and sharing alcohol. So I told them, we're just going to make mead from now on, and it was my hobby that I brought my friends into, and it developed into more than that. One of the impetuses for that was that one of my homebrews that I made for one of my own birthdays put into the North Carolina State Fair and it took a ribbon. Um, So for me that uh, external validation was really powerful because it meant that more than just my drunk friends liked the mead and maybe it had a bigger audience out there of people who would appreciate it as well so um that kind of got me started on a journey to talk to anybody who had shiny stainless tanks in their place brewers cider makers mead makers winemakers. just a quest (laughs) to understand it seemed very daunting of course to go from making five gallon batches to making 500 gallon batches let's say so i wanted to know a lot about that and traveled around virginia uh mostly locally here up to Virginia to meet with the Black Snake Meadery folks, the Foggy Ridge Cider Maker, and of course I met up uh, with the Starlight folks down in Pittsburgh. Ben and Becky Starr. I started as soon as I met them, asked if I could come in and help out in any way, and Ben said, sure, come on in and bottle with us. So that's how I first met them, and they were tremendously supportive of my uh, desire to open a meadery and shared with me so much about their own business and business plan that really helped me writing my business plan. And I'm a planner so I worked on that business plan for a while. It's a big endeavor as you've seen some of the large tanks and the investment and the licensing and the, it's quite a challenge up front that I felt I had to really rein that in and understand what I was getting into. But even saying that, I chuckle because you just really never know what you're getting into. <laughs>
0: Go back to when you said you first started and you met lots of people and friends. I got to believe that you met a lot of beekeepers as you were trying to source some honey locally.
1: Absolutely. and we keep uh, my partner keeps bees in our backyard, so she's a member of the Durham Beekeepers Association. and early on before the meadery started, uh, we had the meter we had the beaks over for a mead making demo. I have a little mead kitchen at home that it converted my former pottery studio into a space to make mead which is a whole other story but we had the Durham beekeepers over there to share the process of making mead and we talked a little bit about the meadery was coming on board and I would, would love to get some local honey and I understand from having backyard hives how precious that liquid gold really is. It's something that we just took some honey off our hives after five years and would never sell that like for a million dollars you know you just jar it up and give it to your friends and enjoy it and so they were like sure we'll send you sell you some honey for the meadery but it's going to be quite expensive
0: friend of mine keeps bees in raleigh and mentioned that he got twelve dollars a quart
1: that sounds about right. When I think about local honey for sale yeah. at the farmers market, and we have some awesome local beekeepers here who are selling honey. Dave Frutinick is in our at the Durham Farmers Market with us, and a fifty-year beekeeper here in the area. Yeah, I met so many and continue to, and I absolutely love it because I'm in awe of them. You know, that's a really mead making maybe a hard business, but beekeeping so hard. So many losses, so hard to make that commercially viable, and the people that are doing it on a smaller scale really inspire me, because they're the ones I think who are, I mean, we're right here in neighborhoods, from building it up from, really from neighborhood, rather than a large commercial scale, which is also equally important, critical to the meadery that there are commercial beekeepers too, but... You know, I like seeing the local interest. As
0: I calculate the number of gallons of honey you need for one batch, that's an expensive brew that you yeah. got in that tank. want to make sure it all works out well.
1: Exactly, Harold. You really hit it on the head. For me, it's a very careful and respectful process, and I do think about that all the bees that went into that. I mean, it's immense. We're using about three pounds of honey per gallon. So it's very humbling to put 1,400, 1,600 pounds of honey into a tank and turn it into this beautiful beverage that really goes back to honoring that original source. So there's a lot of motivation in it. And yes, I do want it to turn out. And I do have you know, a lot of worry and stress around that.
0: I am interesting that you're able to do the process from mixing honey and water, putting it in the tanks, I guess adding the yeast to start Mm -hmm. the brewing process, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: until you get to the bottling, it's you.
1: Right, right. That's, I think, a throw... It's funny because when I just was going to say that's just, I'm going to, I I'm very careful about how it's made, It's a very slow process. I've thought a lot about, could somebody else really help me perhaps speed this up? And it doesn't ever, it's like, not really. I'm just going to be slow and careful with it. And so far, it's at a scale where, you know, with assistance from a, a big pump or another big thing or having to recreate how you move those poundage of honey into the big tank.
0: I noticed that you have about an 8-foot step ladder, so you can be <laughs> <laughs> on top of the tank to stir. Or
1: Exactly. Some of the additions that I'm making, such as the yeast, are going to go in through the top of the tank. And that I do climb the ladder to uh, make that addition, And but not the honey. Those 60-pound buckets would be about 100 pounds by the time I got to the top of that ladder. <laughs> so for that, I uh, dilute it down here on what I call my level. Uh, With water and then pump it into the tank. Thank goodness. Yes. Thanks for that tip Ben Starr at Starlight Meadery
0: (laughs) Length of time does it depend upon the addition whether it's a blackberry mead or does it take longer for one than another?
1: In my experience, it does take longer or I like to give it longer particularly for the meads that contain just honey what are called traditional meads that don't have an additional fruit, spices, herbs, or flowers. And so for me with those, if I give it added time, I get a really smooth quality to the honey. And to me, it takes time to tease out all those nectar sources and let them come out a little bit. So that that time, there are, I can't really describe the exact process. The, there are little minute processes, still things are dropping out of the tank and also opening up with that additional aging. And with the fruit meads, they can take a little bit longer, I find. I think the addition of the, there's additional nutrients for the yeast coming in from the fruit, so those can finish up earlier and be where I want them to be and have the flavor profile that I'm looking for in three to four months, which to me is my fastest. Three meat. to four
0: months is the fastest you can turn out of that to
1: Yes, in the way that, the process, just the way that I'm I'm doing it and some of the tie-ups or some of the length of time before a release starts to be about the coordination of the tanks and the tasks. If I've got this tank's got to move into that tank, but there's already something there, i got to back it up often to do these multiple tasks to free up a tank or...
0: You use the actual fruit or the spice or the flour. You don't buy some commercially made smells like, tastes
1: like. Correct, that's correct. I really like, and this is a a passion. I love working with the whole fruit and it's also a bit of a liability because it adds a challenge and adds a certain layer, both on the good side. I love that it's gonna come out a little bit different each year and that I'm working with fruit and I know the farmer and it came from up the road and I can take a North Carolina ingredient and express it in this, via this mead vehicle in a different way, that we can drink it, literally drink the field. That's a big motivation for me that ties all the way back to that first Homer, Alaska visit with the flowers and that experience, being surrounded by that.
0: So you count on bees to provide the source for your honey, Mm -hmm. bees to pollinate the fruits Mm -hmm. that you use. So true. So you're a great tie-in for us as we talk about maintaining a healthy bee population and provide pollination gardens provide Mm -hmm. something in the fall so that they can winter over healthy Mm -hmm. not just some sugar water Mm -hmm. but real life plants that are blooming in the fall you're all kinds of uh, dependence upon bees there just isn't enough honey available locally Mm -hmm. i'm sure Mm -hmm. you the big batches that you do, Right. But you make sure that the honey you use is single-sourced, is that the right term?
1: Uh, true source honey is the true term source. that the Dutch Gold uses. They're out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, um, and a lot of breweries and meateries. There's a lot of beverages that people are drinking right now that are made with that honey. The beautiful part about Dutch Gold is they are guaranteeing they can track all that honey back to the hive. So I get wildflower honey from them that's coming from other countries, Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, Canada, as well as the US, but Dutch Gold is guaranteeing that to be true source honey, which is very critical.
0: something that's available on the market and who knows where it came from and how it was handled.
1: Exactly. I don't want adulterated honey. I don't want honeys that are made with corn syrup and flavorings. For the careful process and the respect that we're wanting to give to the bees, I really want to use a must uh, real honey. I talk about meat a lot. People come into the meadery and I find out that I really enjoy that part and it's nice to I get energy from people and I work alone so it's it's a really interesting balance because I really actually need both of those parts but I realize in talking to people about what I do that it helps me stay in tune with it, touch with my passion it helps me remember that the parts of it that I love because there's some really long days and it's not always pretty and not everything works out great although the batches have gone really well I've had to I've had some some problems, some growing pains, some re-fermentation in the bottle, some things that I'm still learning about, but now I have uh, some awesome new processes in place to help me. I learned that the filtration system I was using, plate and frame, really only removes about 70% of the yeast, even though I was going down to a micron, half a micron level, that is well, much smaller than yeast. So I thought that I was, but there's actually another process that I can intersect right before bottling that is even more absolute of uh, membrane filtration. And since I am a home brewer turned professional, I'm learning as I go. I am a very careful person and I did supplement what I know as a kitchen cook, which is really my background, uh, or or where I'm coming from in the mead making process, with some classes. Going back to what you were saying about, there's a lot in the tank. When I have the local fruit or the honey, or even just the honey, there's a lot in there. And if something, you know, goes a little off or a little awry, or the yeast are expressing a little something off, need to know how to what that is and how to deal with it, um, and also how to properly just sanitize really throughout this commercial mead making process.
0: Two questions have occurred to me. Where do you teach the chemistry course that it took? for you to know to produce mead?
1: Sure, I took a course through a program called VESTA, V-E-S-T-A, which is a national viticulture and, in words, educational program through network throughout the U.S. So I actually took my course, chemistry and winemaking, with a fantastic professor, I took an online course there through the VESTA program, and I also took some uh, intro to winemaking from Surrey Community College, right Mm -hmm. here.
0: Now, the second question that I mentioned where's the office for the sales force like, <laughs> i see that you're in oh gosh 15 different establishments and some of those have five or six different locations so you true, now, true. where's the sales force
1: well i should probably just show you my hat rack because i wear all those hats <laughs> I do the distribution. We're uh, able to self-distribute. So that's a good thing. It means that I can go out there and meet the people who are going to sell the mead. But yes, it does take time. And when I'm delivering to all the total wine stores, let's say in the area, that's a three-hour loop for me. But again, I love being out there direct, one-on-one. But at some point, you've pointed to a growing pain for the company. I do need some help as the company grows with sales distribution, tasting room management, even with the mead making. Ultimately, it is something that I'm holding on to as as I think is appropriate for a two-year-old business. I've learned a lot about entrepreneurship. I ran my own pottery business, making my own and selling my own pottery. So a lot of this harkens back to that. You know, I've worked in offices, so I'm very adept at the office management of the business, which I also do. Get on my hat and run the payroll. Get on my hat and and make the delivery and market the company. So that is a part where we only have typically four meads on our tasting, and it'll probably always be like that. I'm not looking to take over the world with mead, but to be, be a regional treasure. Getting folks interested in mead, in honey, in beekeeping
0: so you have seasonal of course if when blueberries are in Mm -hmm. uh, you'll follow that by a couple of months maybe when you make the blueberry mead
1: Mm -hmm.
0: strawberry etc
1: Exactly, exactly. We actually have a fruit backlog because right after strawberry season comes blueberries and during blueberry season comes figs. So if you could see the freezer now, you would see that it's actually all of those, all of our fruit from this year is there right now.
0: And I think you freeze everything individually. It's not just a clump of Exactly, it's exactly. all spread out, so exactly. that takes a lot of space. Yeah.
1: Yes, and there's where there's a lot of love in the in the bottle, we like to say, because the fruit is being hand processed. You know, I work, I have help on the fruit processing. Get the fruit out on a tray, yes, we rinse it, we sort it, we de-stem it, we line it up in little rows on another tray and put it in the freezer, and we take it out of that, put it into a container, then it'll come out of that, go into a mesh bag, eventually it'll go into the tank.
0: So every time someone takes a sip of one of your meads, (laughs) they should feel sense. scents, taste a little of the love that's gone into it. It hasn't just been a big commercial operation.
1: Not at all. And all the way back to what you had said earlier about the fruit being pollinated by bees, all the way back to that single visit that a bee made to the strawberry plant, to me showing up to pick some strawberries, because that is another crazy thing that I do is pick the strawberries for the strawberry mead, because the farm that grows the ones that I love is a pick-your-own-strawberry farm. And they're delightful. Uh, the owners know that I'm coming to pick. They're very, very kind people. So our strawberry is a small batch because I want to use the strawberries from that farm.
0: No bruises, no <laughs> dents, no <laughs> insect pr- holes. Yeah.
1: Not, not very little, although I can take a little bit of what I call scratch and dents on the fruits, but nothing major because any little bit of rot or offness will carry forward.
0: Now, you mentioned tasting room. Mm -hmm. You give tours. You have open hours for tasting.
1: We do. Uh, We are open on Saturday afternoons from 1 to 6 p.m. every Saturday. You saw our little tiny tasting room up front. It gives folks a chance to come see where the meat is made. I'm here doing tours that afternoon. You can also find us at the Farmer's Market here in Durham and over in Chapel Hill on Saturday mornings. But all of our face-to-face, really, and showing off the meatery happens on the Saturday. Because during the week, it's all those other tasks that we were talking about, about the making, marketing, and selling of it.
0: It is easy to find your website. I noticed mm. there aren't many Honey Girl Meaderies that Google can find.
1: <laughs> That's delightful. I'm glad to hear that.
0: <laughs> easy to find more information about you about ours. I want to go hear some of the sounds of mead making.
1: Fantastic, let's do that. Or I can say what we're doing. Yeah, what are
0: we gonna do now?
1: Well, uh, right now I'm going to check the gaskets. On top of all my tanks, they have what's called variable capacity lids. The lid's held by a gasket that's like an inner tube, and it needs to stay pressed, uh, pumped up to a certain pressure so that the lid will stay in place and keep oxygen out of the mead. It's a very important and very quick task that I do here every day. I just look at this gauge. You can see that it needs a little pumping up to get it right in the middle of the pressure zone that I want it to be in, that green zone. So open that screw up a little bit. Pump that up and then screw that down tight and it'll hold that air in.
0: Thinking about my first encounter with mead was at the Chapel Hill Farmer's Market. And I didn't know what it was gonna be like, cause honey, mm, I was delighted and surprised that it was not a sticky, sweet, drink at all Uh,
1: yes and I'm happy to hear you say that and I do hear that from a lot of folks a lot of people for whatever reason of course we hear honey and we think it's very thick and it's very sweet so it's hard to make that leap from you're gonna make an alcohol out of that and how would it not be tasting very much like that thick and sweet and also a lot of folks first encountered mead that was more thick and sweet maybe English or Scottish meads that were made back sweetened with more honey perhaps to get them to that. But I really like the dry end of the spectrum as well as up to about the semi-sweet to explore that realm, because especially on the dry side, that's where I feel like we're fermenting out the sugars and we're unleashing and opening up the nectar sources in a different way. So even our bone dry hibiscus lemon thyme, you can sense and taste honey, although not in a sweet way. And you know only from tasting another reason why we sample at the farmers market and we sample wherever we can because it's very important mead doesn't have mead isn't you know lager porter and certain styles that we're very familiar with mead is a whole wide open range from bone dry to dessert sweet and so it's hard to classify and wherever possible try to try it first so you can find out if you if it's to your, to your liking. Sometimes when I have the dry meats, people are like, where's the sweet stuff? When I have the sweet stuff, they're like, where's the dry stuff? We are perpetually in search of.
0: Man, don't we have a tank we can taste from? Oh, My what gosh. a great idea. So you've just pulled some out of this great big 500 gallon tank.
1: Oh yeah, let me see if the air will go off and then we can you can actually hear that. This is just uh, hibiscus petals fresh lemon thyme, honey, water, and yeast. Cheers. Wow.
0: What a nice, subtle, subtle
1: taste. There's, and it, this is early on. So this is one of ours that ends up being bone dry. I really like where it's going. It's got that hibiscus, a little bit of tartness to it. Almost like a, can almost taste that color of bright pink of the hibiscus petals. And the honey is much more in the background. It's mm, nice. earthy, herbal
0: dry. It Mm -hmm. is just wonderfully dry.
1: This was the one that got the meadery started, hibiscus lemon thyme. This was that ribbon that I got for that homebrew recipe. Mm -hmm.
0: Now you've also gotten ribbons since then.
1: Yes, some of the commercial meads and I'm happy about this because again, this is a passion of mine, but I'm learning and put the meads into some commercial competitions to get them evaluated at, at that level. And I'm happy that both this hibiscus lemon thyme and the blueberry, medaled in this year's uh, Finger Lakes International Wine Competition and the North Carolina State Fair gave a medal to the Lavender Mead last year and that was our first commercial medal.
0: It's been a great visit with you Diane and I can't think of any better way to end this than one more sip.
1: Thank you Harold it's been my pleasure to talk to you today. Cheers. Cheers to you.
0: Is there anything else to be said about maintaining a healthy bee population? You've been listening to Getting Dirty in Your Garden, brought to you by North Carolina State Extension Master Gardener Volunteers. You may find this and future episodes on our website, gettingdirtyinyourgarden.org. Until next time, why not go out and get dirty in your garden?